You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good, cold Waco morning to all of you who are watching online and the adventurous ones who are here in person today. Today we're going to look at a pretty well-known story. Uh, Most are probably at least familiar with the story of of David and Goliath, whether you grew up in church or kind of uh, just have heard things about church or about scripture, about the Bible. More than likely, you're familiar at least of the two names, David and, and Goliath. But it's not a story. It's not a moral story of just some young boy who had a lot of courage and and faced his giants. I want us to see Jesus together today in in this story. So if your Bible, would you turn with me, please? We'll be open to this chapter the remainder of the morning. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the ninth book in the Old Testament, if that helps you to get there more quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll start in verse 1. The first few verses give us a great context of what's going on, draws up the battle scene for us, gives us a good picture. First Samuel chapter 17, and again, so glad that you're here. Those who are watching online, so glad that you're watching online today. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elon and, and drew up in a battle, in a line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. So you probably get the picture of what's going on here. You've got two mountains and a valley in between them. In fact, that valley is going to be a dried up ravine there in the middle. So you have the Philistines on one mountain, you have God's people, the Israelites on, on the other mountain, and the valley is where that battle is going to take place. Um, I've been to the Valley of Allah before. In fact, you'll see on, on the screen behind me uh, a picture we took about three years ago. Um, I kind of want you to see that picture for a couple of reasons, so you can kind of put it into your mind's eye what that battle scene, battleground looked like. Uh, you can see the two mountains there in, in that picture. It's just a reminder to you that this is a very real story with real people that, that really happened. That is the Valley of, of Allah. And the battle would have taken place about 3,000 years ago, so 1,000 B.C. Real people, real story, real situation. So that's, that's the setup. While we were there in the Valley of Allah, I uh, picked up a, a stone, of course, because that's what you're supposed to do, I'm sure, when you're there, and, and take things back from Israel. I'm not sure they wanted us to do this, but have a, a smooth stone there from the Valley of Elah. And if you look really carefully on this stone, I'm not sure if the camera can pick this up, there's some blood on this. So... I'm just kidding. There's not blood on it. But I, it's, it's probably very improbable this was the stone that, that killed Goliath. But it's not impossible statistically. So I'm going to hold on to this stone for, for a long time. So let's pick it up here in, in verse 4. And, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So let's, let's stop right there. Interesting. This is the only time the word champion is used in the Bible. In fact, we're going to see it a few times just in this chapter. This, that word is used at no other time. The word champion literally means the decisive man or the decisive one. And if decisive means that there is going to be a definite result, then Goliath definitely is a decisive man. He is a champion. It says here that he's six cubits and a span tall. That's nine foot 
nine inches. This bro needs to be in the NBA. In fact, he'd be looking at eye level with, with the rim. And this isn't just some tall, lanky, skinny, awkward Kristaps Porzingis. This is actually a bulky man, if I can say that about a multimillionaire Kristaps. Look at Goliath here. Look at, look at verse 5. Look how he is described. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So his chain coat, that's what a mail coat is, a, a chain coat, that's 125 pounds. It's a coat. <laughs> and he was wearing more than probably some of the Israelites even weighed. Verse 6 and verse 7, we see some more things that describe Goliath. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. So that that spearhead that he is holding, just the spearhead is 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds. This guy is undoubtedly the man. And to take it one step farther or further, he has a sidekick here who goes with him just to carry his shield. And the shield is probably the size of the sidekick. So when Goliath walks into a party, everyone knows that he's there. Chapter 17, verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So Goliath is juiced. He's intoxicated by his own, his own size. He's intoxicated by his own power. And the response to this throwdown challenge that, that Goliath gives, look at verse 11. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words, the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The word dismayed in, in Hebrew is the word hathoth. And it means to break into pieces. Um, it's usually a word that would be associated with pottery that had been dropped. So if you dropped some pottery, it would shatter. It would hathoth in Hebrew into all these different pieces. And this is actually the description that God's word says of God's people, the Israelites. They were falling apart in fear. But it wasn't just the Israelites. King Saul also was afraid, it says here in verse 11. Now we had read earlier in 1 Samuel that uh, King Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He normally would not have been afraid, but here he's going to sit this one out. He's scared along with all the other Israelites. Now let's stop real quick in the story because there's three factors that are happening here. Here's, here's the first factor. If you want to write this down in your Bible or notes or just consider this with me. The first factor is this. There's an unbeatable character. It's Goliath of Gath. And we've been given all these details of Goliath. We, we get to see his size and, and his armament, and they're very intimidating. And he seems to be, and he thinks himself, that he is unconquerable. Another factor we see so far in the story is this daunting test. The daunting test is defeat Goliath. Basically, this supersized, hulk-sized giant of a man is coming out to challenge some poor Israelite to a game of one-on-one and winner takes all. It's a very forbidding task that the Israelites are facing. 
But here's the third thing, and we'll see this in just a second. The third thing in this story, the third factor in this story is an unlikely champion, David, a shepherd boy. Most um, theologians believe he was probably somewhere between 17, maybe 18 years old, so he's a teenager. Um, He must have been easily looked over in his household because his father, Jesse, forgot he even had him. And so here's this young teenager, and he has seven older brothers, so he easily gets lost in the mix. Let's, Let's meet this unlikely champion, this shepherd boy by the name of David. Let's pick it up in, in verse 12. Now, David was the son of Ephratite, which means from the tribe of Ephraim of Bethlehem, where he lived in Judah, uh, named, named Jesse. That was the father of David, who had eight sons, seven plus, plus David. In the days of Saul, the, the man was already old, speaking of, of Jesse, and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, who was the firstborn. Next to him was Abinadab, and third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Now, the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, this Philistine kept coming forward and, and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah. Now, ephah is about five and a half gallons or so. An ephah of this parched grain and take these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. In other words, bring something back from them. I can know that they are doing okay. So, so here's David, the, the cheese deliverer who travels 15 miles, it's almost 15 miles exactly, a straight shot west from, from Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah. And so that he is traveling that 15 miles to deliver these things to his older brothers and to the commander. And he comes upon the battle scene. So let's pick it up here in, in verse, verse 21. Jump down to verse 21. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things, meaning the cheese and the bread, uh, the grain, the five gallons of grain. He left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Behold, the champion, there's that word again, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as he had spoken before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. So Goliath comes out. He gives that same taunting challenge of, if you can defeat me, then we'll be your servants. But if I defeat you, you get to all be my servants. And David, it seems, is incensed at the pagan arrogance of this loudmouth giant. Pick it up in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David eventually in this narrative, he he volunteers himself. He's going to go and fight Goliath. And so David is taken to the presence of King Saul. Let's pick it up in verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. In other words, don't, don't let your heart be depressed because of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, now just get ready, Highland. You're about to hear one of the greatest battle speeches in the Old Testament. But David said to Saul, 
your servant, speaking of himself, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I went after that lion, after that bear, and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he, meaning the animal, rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be just like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, then go. I still think he's convinced. And may the Lord be with you. Do you hear what David just said? The problem with the Israelites is that they believe Goliath is a giant. But isn't that not really the truth? Because even at nine foot nine with all of his brute strength compared to the Lord, Goliath is an ant. That's why David says in verse 37, the Lord is able to deliver You're scared of this Philistine, but we follow a great God. Verse 37, the Lord who has delivered me from lions and bears has no problem at all delivering us or delivering me from this Philistine. You see, friends, it's it's all about perspective. When we face difficult days, when we face difficult challenges, when we have obstacles in front of us, the, the more we stare at those things, the larger they seem to become, don't they? They get overwhelming to us. We get consumed by all these obstacles. We get consumed and overwhelmed by all these difficult things in front of us. And it's in those moments we need to see, as David is seeing right here, that our God is greater. No matter how difficult your situation is or how great your challenge is, how huge that obstacle might seem to you, our God is supremely, monumentally greater than that problem. Our God is more than able to deliver you from any situation, any obstacle, any Difficulty, whatever it might be, our God is a deliverer. And so now the big battle scene unfolds in front of us. It's, it's Maximus versus Tigris. It's, it's Rocky versus Apollo Creed. It's James Bond versus Dr. No. It's Yoda versus Darth Sidious. It's SpongeBob versus Dirty Bubble. Did I get all the generations in that? It's, it's beginning to, to unfold for us here. So let's pick it up in verse 40. Then he, meaning David, He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine and the Philistine moved forward and and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth. He was ruddy. He was handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Apparently, he did not see the stones. He's going to wish he had seen those stones. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. Oh, David, that's good. 
He is crystal clear. Goliath, in just a moment, you're going to realize, and all the Philistines behind you are going to realize, and all the scared Israelites behind me are going to realize that there is a God in Israel who is superior, and he will not be defied by anyone nor subject to anyone, and he is about to demonstrate his glory and his power, and the glory of God will destroy you. David, that's fierce. And it's not just talk from David, and neither is it just talk from God. Chapter 17, pick it up in verse 48. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, I love this, David ran quickly toward the battle line. He ain't scared to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and I love this, and he fell on his face to the ground. You know what that is in Hebrew? Worship. The guy who said, I defy your army, I defy the name of your God, is now bowing down, dead as it may be, he is still bowing down in the dirt. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion, huh, champion was dead, they fled. I love this story. I've heard this story all my life. I'm a preacher's kid, raised in church, vacation Bible school. I have heard this story over and over again. It never grows old to me. Let's look again at the lower story. We talk a lot here at about a lower story and an upper story. Let's see the, the lower story because there are some immediate implications, but also a few larger implications. It's kind of like Google Earth. You look at something very closely, then you kind of broaden out and see the rest of the picture. The lower story, listen to this, the unbeatable character, yes, it's Goliath, but also in the lower story, it's all the surrounding nations. It wasn't just the Philistines that wanted to destroy Israel. It wasn't just Goliath that wanted to destroy the Israelites. It was all the nations around them, all the people groups around them. It's not just that Goliath wanted Israel destroyed. All the surrounding nations wanted Israel destroyed. And when you think about it, Highland, not that much has changed today. Secondly, there's this daunting test here. Yes, defeat Goliath. That's the immediate lower story. But the larger implication of the lower story, also the daunting test is we need to deliver God's people. This isn't just about a giant being defeated. It's also about the Israelites being rescued. It's about the Israelites being safe. It's about the Israelites being on God's land that he has given to God's people. So the lower story here, yes, the immediate is defeat Goliath, but the bigger scoped out picture, broadened out picture, it's time to deliver God's people. That's the daunting test. And so the unlikely champion, I know we've looked at it before, but it's David, a shepherd. But, but pull out just a little bit. It's also David, an almost king. And God is beginning to prepare him in this story. There's more than just what we see here happening in chapter 17. There's an unlikely champion that God is bringing up. It's David, yes, a shepherd, but also he's preparing David to be a king. There's three things I want you to see about David that I think we probably need to take this inventory in our own lives. Number one, he had a passion for God's glory. Did you notice that over and over again, it was not just about what he could do. Constantly, he said, oh, this is the Lord. This is not for my name. This is for his name. This is not for my renown. This is for his renown. David was incensed that the glory of God was being cursed. 
by Goliath. He had a passion for God's glory. Secondly, he was confident in God's hand. Even as he kind of sounded like there was a little humble brag going on, talking about the bear and, and the lion, he did keep saying, but it was the Lord who delivered me. It was the Lord who delivered me. The Lord delivered me from that lion, from the paw of that bear. The Lord will deliver me from this Philistine, from this giant. He had this great confidence in God's hand. Again, I'll say that those two things so far are things that we can adopt for our own lives. I have a passion. Let's have a passion for the glory of God, not the glory of my own name, the fame of God, not my own fame. Let's be confident what God can do, how God can deliver, have confidence in God's hand. And thirdly, David sees God as the highest champion. David sees God as the decisive one. The, the giant in the story, in David's perspective, is not Goliath, it's Yahweh. It is God who is greater. He constantly kept his eyes on the Lord, who is actually larger and bigger and more powerful than a nine foot nine Hulk. That's the lower story. What about the upper story? You know, the upper story is the narrative of redemption. The upper story is what God is doing to bring people to him, really bring all creation to him. And we see the upper story, we always see Jesus there. And that's what we're wanting to do today. The story of redemption is written all throughout the Bible. And as you look at the upper story in scripture, you will constantly see Jesus. So let's see the upper story together today. First of all, the unbeatable character in the narrative story is Satan. The enemy of God's people. He's a very strong Adversary. We have a worthy adversary. He, he is like a lion on the prowl, ready to destroy. Uh, Jesus even said about him, he's, he's like a thief. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy God's people. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. The daunting test then is to destroy sin. How will sin ever be destroyed? How will our shame, our guilt ever be destroyed? That's the daunting test of the upper story. Who's going to take on our sin? Who's going to destroy the works of Satan? Who will destroy sin itself? Who will fight against this evil one on our behalf? Who's going to fight against the one who is set on destroying God's people and defaming God's name? That's the daunting test. Who's going to destroy the reality of our sin, of my sin? And in the upper story, the battle scene unfolds. And out of the shadows of Bethlehem, where David came from, steps an unlikely champion, born into a humble family, into impoverished conditions. And this unlikely champion is Jesus, son of man and son of God. This shepherd of our souls would also be king. And he would come face to face with our sin and our shame. He would come face to face with Satan himself and with death itself on his own cross. And it would not be with five small stones, but one big stone that rolled away by his own power of this king. That he would defeat sin and death and Satan to the cheers of his people and to the glory of his dad. That's the upper story. That's the big picture of this childlike story that we have heard most of our lives of a young teenager hurling a stone toward a giant. Could it be just one more reminder to us 
of Satan, a character that seems so unconquerable, a daunting task before us, destruction of sin. And then Jesus again coming from Bethlehem to redeem us, to buy us, to slay sin, hell, and death. So how can we pray? How can you and I pray this week in light of this story? Hearing this narrative, can I submit to you three ways that you and I can pray for ourselves this week, how you can pray for yourself at home. And I, I would submit this to you, how to pray in light of this story. Number one, here would be a great prayer for us. God, help me live with a passion for your glory. In every test I face, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter the obstacles in front of me, God, would you help me live with a passion for your glory? And can I just say to you, not only was that the cry and the prayer of David, that is also the cry, the plea, the prayer of Jesus. Father, be glorified, Jesus said. In the garden, in every test that I face, at the cross, every test that I face, our prayer this week would be, God, help me live with a passion for your glory. Help us to see your greatness over any giant that we might have in our lives and desire your glory above everything else. Not that our passion would be our safety or our security or our health or our comfort or our plans, but our passion would be, oh God, glorify your name in every situation, in every test, in every difficulty, in every chapter of life. Here's a second prayer that we can pray in light of this story. God, help me live with confidence in your strength. I don't fight for victory. I fight from victory. It's the whole point of the story. I think the whole point of the story hinges on verse 47. I'll read it to you. The battle is the Lord's. I'm looking at some wonderful people, spiritually strong people, physically strong people, emotionally strong people. Can I just say to you, it's not about our skill sets and our strength and our abilities. It's not about what we bring to the table. You see, in Christ, there already is victory. He has already won. So this week, we're not struggling to scrap out a few moments of victory ourselves. We already have been given victory in Jesus, which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thanks be to God who has given us our victory through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this week, we're not trying to fight to have some semblance of victory. We already have the victory in Christ. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting and struggling perhaps even this week from a place of victory. Thirdly, how to pray in light of this story. God, help me to look to Jesus as the champion in every temptation I face and in every struggle that I experience. Christ is our champion. He is the decisive one. The outcome has already been determined. It is Jesus who defeats sin. It's Jesus who defeats suffering and hell and the grave on our behalf and all who turn to Jesus. So we fix our eyes this week, not on the giants, not on the obstacles, not on the difficulties, not on the circumstances. We fix our eyes on Jesus as the champion because the battle is the Lord's. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. So, Father, this is our prayer today. 
We want to be like Jesus. In fact, much more like Jesus than David. So God, would you help us to live with a passion for your glory just as the son Jesus had a passion, God, for your glory. And every test that he faced, whether it be in the garden or on the cross, he desired your glory. God, we are so tired of desiring our own safety, our own security, our own comfort, our own plans. They're so small. God, help us to live with a passion for your name and for your glory. God, help us not to have confidence in our flesh, but confidence in your strength. Help us to live in confidence in your hands. God, we don't have to fight for victory. We can't. We're not David in this story. We're the frightened Israelites in this story. Standing behind the champion. So God, we don't want to struggle for victory this week when you've already given us victory this week we fight from a position of victory and God by your grace would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus the champion and our temptation this week to sin to be angry to be filled with lust to lie to be arrogant by your grace would you help us to fix our eyes on you as the decisive one the champion of heaven, the champion of our hearts, the champion of our salvation. We thank you, God, for this this word you've reminded us of today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher. Now apply it to our lives as we now sing for joy to a God who can do all things. Amen.